it was really important for us with some of those dates coming up for us to, uh, to, to conclude our, our month of prayer and awareness and to talk about the refugee response today. Some of those dates are coming up here in the next couple of weeks, and we'd like for as many of us as are possible um, to attend those. Going along with that in the original kind of plan of things um, was that I was going to be in the Sermon on the Mount today, um, teaching from Matthew chapter 6 about anxiety and about even some of the parallels there between um, the anxiety that we experience for God to provide for us and how that's also the enemy of, of generosity and the enemy of compassion, um, the enemy of being a, a merciful people in the world. But there's something I think that is comedic um, about God and about the way he works when he has a pastor prepare a whole sermon on anxiety, and then circumstances change, and you just scrap that completely the, the day before, and now I get anxiety about not preaching about anxiety. <laughs> there's, there's, something, there's something that's comedic about God and just putting a spotlight on my own anxiety there, so I'll have better material from Matthew 6 for you next week, and we'll talk even a little bit more about um, the refugee response then. It ties in, I think, really well. Uh, but I think today, just praying about what would serve us well as a church uh, is to not continue on in that Sermon on the, in the Mount series for this morning, but to take a little bit of a, of a tangent, although I think a significant and good one, into Psalm chapter 90. We're just going to spend a couple minutes there. It's not going to be a long teaching time this morning. But if you have Bibles, make your way to Psalm chapter 90. If you're using one of those black hardcover Bibles, uh, page 496 you know, is where that where that starts. And I'm just going to go ahead and read the whole thing. It's 17 verses. Um, this is a psalm about the eternality of God and the, the frailty of humankind. It's really a contrast of those two things. God is eternal and people are not. People are frail. People are weak. Their lives are brief. So follow along with me as I read Psalm chapter 90. A prayer of Moses, the man of God. Lord, you have been our dwelling place in all generations. Before the mountains were brought forth, or ever you had formed the earth and the world, from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. You return man to dust, and say, Return, O children of man. For a thousand years in your sight are but as yesterday when it is past or as a watch in the night. You sweep them away as with a flood. They are like a dream, like grass that is renewed in the morning. In the morning it flourishes and is renewed. In the evening it fades and withers. For we are brought to an end by your anger. By your wrath we are dismayed. You have set our iniquities before you, our secret sins in the light of your presence. For all our days pass away under your wrath. We bring our years to an end like a sigh. The years of our life are 70, or even by reason of strength, 80. Yet their span is but toil and trouble. They are soon gone, and we fly away. Who considers the power of your anger and your wrath according to the fear of you? So teach us to number our days, that we may get a heart of wisdom. Return, O Lord, how long? Have pity on your servants. Satisfy us in the morning with your steadfast love, that we may rejoice and be glad all our days. Make us glad for as many days as you have afflicted us, and for as many years as we have seen evil. Let your work be shown to your servants, and your glorious power to their children. 
Let the favor of the Lord our God be upon us and establish the work of our hands upon us. Yes, establish the work of our hands. This is God's word. and pray for us. God, these are your words that are true and that show us how much we are not you. Uh, that we are those who pass away like the grass. That you are the one who is from everlasting to everlasting. And I pray in that we would be humbled, but that we would also see your love and your care for us as creatures who are humbled and loved by a God who is this powerful, this big. We pray that in your name. Amen. So there's a, there's a real honesty about the words of this psalm that I think fly in the face of uh, our culture's discomfort or our culture's kind of willful ignorance about the brevity of human life. Uh, we like to think that we're going to live forever. And we like to take whatever measures are within our power to take in order to prolong our lives as much as possible. And in and of itself, there's nothing wrong with that. There's actually a lot to be affirmed about taking care of our bodies and eating well and exercising and and doing the kinds of things that, that give us a quality of life that allows us to steward our lives well and honor God in all of that. All of those things are good in and of themselves. But for us, in our culture especially, it becomes an obsession. I saw this week an article, I can't remember where I found this article, about how every strip of bacon that we eat takes off nine minutes from our lives. And there there was one comment made, one commenter went in there and said, by that calculation, I died in 1732, which I thought was great. So, you know, I I didn't look at the research, I didn't look at, like, how they conducted that. Who knows how true that is? The point is, like, who calculates this stuff in the first place? Down to that level. It's it's people who want to add nine more minutes to their life. It's people who want to hold death at bay for another nine minutes. And we can do that all we want. And and like I said, it's good to have, to eat well, to exercise, That's, that's important, But the psalmist here speaks about these inescapable realities about human life. Specifically a couple things. The frailty of human life. We return to the dust. Dust is frail. We've come from the dust to dust we return. We're like the grass of the field. In the morning it flourishes and is renewed. In the evening it fades and withers. We don't even last a whole day. The brevity of human life. Seventy years are by reason of strength, eighty. Sometimes it's a lot less than that. Often, sadly, it's a lot less than that. With Joy, it was half of that. She was forty. We're temporary. There's a, there's a transience about our life in this earth. We're here and then we're gone. The frailty, the brevity, also the brokenness of human life. Even the 70 or 80 years, if we get that many, what does the psalmist say? They're toil and trouble. The curse of sin means that life in this world is hard. That we labor by the sweat of our brows. It's thorns and thistles in the ground. It's pain and childbirth. That's the curse of sin. And as the psalmist points out, that sin is such a big deal because it subjects us to the wrath of a God who is holy and a God who is perfect. 
the Apostle Paul points out many years later that the wages of sin is death. That's, the, that's what we earn by our sin, by our rebellion against God, by the fracture of sin that exists in the world around us. And we suffer under the weight of our own sin, and we suffer under the weight of the sin that exists in the world. And we would run headlong, and we would run unimpeded into that sin if not for the mercy of God. There's a scholar named Michael Wilcock, and he, he said this, which I think is insightful. He said, We may say readily enough that we believe God is eternal, but we need to be reminded repeatedly that our life in this world is not. For every advance in medical or environmental technology helps to reinforce the illusion that it could be. And then he goes on to say, Every death is a little undermining of humanity's pride. Every death is a little undermining of humanity's pride. And that's actually exactly what James, the brother of Jesus, was saying in that passage that we read a little while ago in our service. He, if that seemed odd to you, that, that at the end he said, you boast in your arrogance, and all, and all arrogance or, and all such boasting is evil. It's because he's saying, right before that, what is your life? You're a mist that appears for a little time and then you vanish. So you make all of these plans, but in the end you should be saying, not what I'm planning on doing, but if God allows me the time to do this, then I'll do this. We, we sometimes speak of taking life for granted. Right? We don't consider the gift that it is, and I think that's true, but it's actually worse than that. It's pride. It's arrogance. It's this illusion of control that we think we have, we try to have, but really we don't have. It's this assumption that we, that we have the ability to determine the outcome of our lives. And if we would only you know, eat a little bit less bacon or get to the gym a little bit more, then we would prolong our lives more and more indefinitely. As we do those things that are good to do, we need to do them with our eyes open. That no matter how successful we are in sustaining or prolonging our lives, that by our efforts, we will fail. That, that human life is frail and it is brief and it is characterized by toil and trouble. trouble. It's immersed in brokenness. And so instead of that arrogance, that pride... Humility here comes by embracing the frailty and by embracing the brokenness, by seeing how much that, that actually contrasts with the eternality of God. Because on the one hand in the psalm, we see the frailty of human life. On the other hand, we see the eternality of God. And it comes through in things like this. He says that God has been our dwelling place in all generations. That before the mountains were brought forth or ever the earth was formed, that's how long God has been doing what he has been doing. From everlasting to everlasting. So eternity past to eternity future. He is God. He is not transient like we are here today and gone tomorrow. It says that a thousand years are like yesterday or like a watch in the night. Uh, in other words, what, what feels like a night for us is a thousand years for God. And so the contrast of these two things frailty of humanity, eternality of God. It shows us just how subject we are to Him. Just how much we are underneath His rule and His reign. 
if we really believe that, if we, if we believe what the psalmist says here, it's going to have a major impact on our view of God. Our typical perspective might be that, that we live our lives each day doing whatever is within our power to do, and when things get hard, well, that's when we go to God and we ask Him for some help. God's the assist man. Let me do what I can do. God, help me out. But if what the psalmist says is true, it's actually completely the other way around. That God isn't the assist man at all. He's the one who's accomplishing everything. And anything that we accomplish is only because he has made it possible for us to do so. And, and as I read this, it's actually kind of a, a, a discouraging and, and uncomfortable thought if not for the rest of where this psalm takes us. Like, if we are just different from God in that way, and we are frail and weak, and we are subject to God, and God is eternal and all-powerful, and we do everything that was, and He's in in control of everything that we do, well, doesn't that just make us chess pieces? Is is God just some kind of an impersonal force that moves us around as He will? But where does the psalmist go with this? He prays. And the last part of this psalm is his prayer. Six specific prayers. But what is prayer? Right? What is prayer? What is prayer but not an invitation into relationship with God? An invitation into communion with God. Communication with God. He's not impersonal and distant. He's actually in his control, in his eternality, knowing that humanity is frail. He's invited them to know him. He's invited them to be with Him, to relate to Him, to pray to Him. And that invitation to relationship is really one of the clearest demonstrations we have that God uses His eternality and uses His power for our good and for our care. So these prayers mean a lot. And I'm just going to run through them very quickly. What does the psalmist pray here in the last part of that psalm? He he prays to to teach us to number our days. In other words, he prays that God would help us remember that we are frail and that our lives are brief and that they're characterized by toil and trouble. Help us, he prays that, that for help to gain a heart of wisdom in that. Wisdom that comes by recognizing that we are a mist. And then using our lives that, that we've been given in a way that aligns with God and his eternal work and his eternal purposes. Because because though brief, God really does invite us to use our lives for something that matters on the eternal scale of things. The psalmist prays, Return, O Lord, and have pity on us. He prays for mercy. When we recognize our frailty, when when the arrogance disintegrates, and maybe it's it's an illness that did it to you, or a near-death experience that did it to you, or a family member or a friend's death that does it to you, when, when that disintegrates, the arrogance disintegrates, we plead for the mercy of God. And that's even more true when we recognize that underneath our frailty, the root of that in our human condition, that exists because we are sinful and we've rebelled against God. That is why death exists in the world. And uninterrupted, we run headlong into that sin and the consequences of it ultimately consummating in death. So we need the intervening, interrupting mercy of God. And the psalmist pleads for it here. Have pity on us. The psalmist also prays, Satisfy us with your steadfast love. 
There's this longing in us for significance, which I think is one of the main reasons that we try so hard to prolong our lives. We try to do so much with our lives. We're trying to demonstrate to ourselves and we're trying to demonstrate to everybody else that my life matters and it counts for something. But instead, we're invited to find our significance and likewise joy and gladness in this unmovable, covenant-making love of God. And God, because He's eternal, He is our satisfaction in a way that nothing in this frail and this brief and this broken life could ever be. Psalmist prays, Make us glad for as many days as you have afflicted us. And this psalm was most likely, it said at the beginning there, a psalm of Moses. It was most likely a psalm written in the wilderness years. After the exodus and the people of God are freed from slavery in Egypt, they're in the wilderness wandering around. That's probably when this, this uh, psalm was written. And they're out there in the wilderness for 40 years. There's 40 years of affliction. And so there's a longing that God would give them as many years of rest and joy as they've had of affliction. There's a short-term and there's a long-term answer to that. For the Israelites who prayed this psalm initially, they do find rest in the promised land. Some measure of it, although it, as you read that, the accounts of that, it's very much still tainted by brokenness and by toil and by trouble. There is some short-term relief for us, some gladness for us in this life, comfort of Christ. But the long-term gladness The foreshadowing that exists in the psalm is this promise that God is a God who in the end wipes away every tear from every eye. That there's no more death, there's no more mourning, there's no more crying, there's no more pain. And that's what's given me a a lot of joy even, if I could dare to say that, about the death of joy. With as hard a life as she lived, with as much pain as she experienced in her life, Not only will she be as glad for as many days as she was afflicted, she'll be glad for an infinite number beyond that. That's the long-term fulfillment of that. The psalmist prays, let us see your work and let our children see it. In other words, God, would you just let us get a glimpse of what you are doing in the world? That we might actually be part of what you are doing in the eternal scope and scale of things, not just our own side plan, Not just our own futile efforts to try to prolong our own lives or to make some kind of statement of significance about what we do in our 70 or 80 years if we even get that many. When we number our days, when we see how eternal God is, our plans by comparison look so inconsequential. So the psalmist is is saying, I'd rather look and see what you are doing, God, and use, use my life as a means of that toward those purposes. And the last thing he prays here, let the favor of the Lord our God be upon us. Establish the work of our hands. If there's something that's better than a relationship with God, it's a relationship with God where his favor is upon you. And though this was written a lot of years beforehand, as God continued to let his people see his work. You know, he answered that prayer, let us see your work, let our children see it. As he answered that prayer, these words anticipate the ultimate work of God, which we see in the death and the resurrection of Jesus. 
So how will this all-powerful, eternal God use his eternality, use his power toward us, frail, brief, and broken human beings? He's going to use it for mercy. And he's going to use it for care. He's going to use it for salvation. In the midst of our frailty. In the midst of our brokenness. He's going to use it so that through this great exchange whereby Jesus takes our sin upon himself and the wrath of God upon our sin and he pays the penalty for it and gives us in its place the merit of his perfect life. God's going to use that that he might then forever, through faith in Jesus, look, with a, look upon us with favor. We don't have to wonder if God's going to look upon us with favor anymore because through Jesus we already have that. And when God looks at us, he doesn't look just at us and our sinfulness. He looks at the perfect work of Christ and he looks with a smile upon his face, with his favor upon us because of that work that Jesus has done. So that's the good news of the gospel. That that frail and brief and broken as our lives may be, they are lives that are in the hands of an eternal God. An eternal God that cares that is merciful, that that demonstrates his mercy and care in no clearer way than the work of Christ. So that's our hope today. That's our hope each and every single day. And my prayer for us is that our eyes would be opened again, or maybe even for the first time, to that reality. Um, that that, That this would be our comfort in our mourning, and that it would always be our satisfaction. That our satisfaction and our longings would be met not in our own efforts to prolong our own lives, but that our longings would be met satisfied in the, the covenantal, steadfast love of God. Let me pray for us. God, we are desperately dependent upon your 